Actions, Responses to Trafficking, the podcast that shines a spotlight on new and established trafficking responses in the UK and beyond. So welcome back to Actions. Today, I'm speaking with Francisca Awa, who is the founder and chief executive at Survivors Network Cameroon, and is a highly active advocate about human trafficking in a variety of other roles too. Welcome, Francisca. It's great to be speaking to you. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm so excited to be here. It's been a long journey between you and me, and finally we are here. And we need to get it done. We do, exactly. (laughs) And today is the day. I'm so excited to be speaking to you as well. I've been reading so much about your work and watching various films and things about you. And so I'm really excited to hear more about the incredible things that you're doing in Cameroon. Thanks for making the time for this. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here and I'm honored to have my story being shared by you, the work we do. It's not easy to have people who love what you do and want to share it to the world. So it's a pleasure to us and it's an honor to the work we do and the whole team of Survivors Network. Oh, brilliant. No, I so appreciate your time and I really appreciate all the work that you do as well. So looking forward to discussing. Uh, maybe you could start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your journey to setting up Survivors Network. Okay, I'm our Francis Cambuli. I'm from Cameroon. I live in Cameroon. I was trafficked, um, survivor of sex and labor trafficking. And also during my ordeal, it was so hard for me and I needed to free myself. But the only opportunity I had, which I didn't know it was true, was to raise money to fund myself back home and to pay the, my employer back because they actually spent a lot, as they told me, through the broker to have me over there. I was traveling basically to the Middle East and to Kuwait. So there was a time I almost sold my kidney because I needed to raise that money, but God's so kind. I don't know what touched my heart and I didn't go ahead with that. And finally, I was freed back home by an organization in New York, in the US, and I came back home. What I went through and what I saw other ladies, Africans from South Asia, like from uh, Philippines, Bangladesh went through, I couldn't sit quiet. So. I started talking about my stories to my immediate family, my community. And when they gave me a listening ear, I needed to to go to other communities as well to create awareness because what we have here, when you just say trafficking, everybody knows it's drug trafficking. But my story, my ordeal came so much in time to create awareness that human trafficking does exist. And not only awareness, we needed also to sensitize the whole community and the population in Cameroon as well on how to prevent themselves, their loved ones, their communities, how everybody needs to be the watchdog for their community against human traffickers. So that's how Survivors Network was vetted from my ordeal to me having the courage to speak out, having other survivors returned home by our organization. And also even the means that they came back home, even it was not related to us, but everybody was willing to join forces together so that we share our story. We use basically at first those are stories and pictures we managed to get on our phones to show people what we went through. And actually it really works like magic. So that's why I always say my story is my greatest asset. Thank you. Incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And so how long has Survivors Network been in existence then? Survivors Network has been existing since 2015. Yeah. And you said actually, yes, actually I was trafficked. Then I returned back home in August of 2015. And by September 2015, I already started my awareness and the first trip of girls that 
jointly with Freedom for All Base in the U.S. funded the flight. We rescued them back home. So we started from there. Incredible. It has, been, yeah, it has been a speedy journey. It's not been easy and we don't relent because there's still a lot, lot more needs to be done. Mm, it sounds like it. It sounds really uh, important work. Can you tell us more? So you've already started to, to mention the rescue work. Could you tell us more about what that entails and, and, and what your organization does? Actually, the rescue start by removing the person from where they are being trafficked to safety. And what I would cite is not only that people must be people, people must travel abroad before they are being rescued, but from where we started, I will start from there. We have um, many of the girls learned about what I was doing. They learned about how fast I was returned home, so they started getting in touch and notwithstanding, also the girls I met at the safe home in Kuwait, which was then the Central African Republic Embassy, got my contact when I left. So they started getting in touch. And when you get in touch with me, if you are still in your employer's home, I direct you, I give you the address of the safety place so you can get yourself out of the house and run mm -hmm. to safety. And when running, don't care if you have a lot of beautiful dresses that you came to work with. Those know that you need your head, you need to be alive, get what you can get so that you can manage with that, so that you can effectively and efficiently run away without carrying luggages along with you. Right. So when you're there, you keep in contact with me. There was a man I was connecting with. He would struggle to get alternative traveling documents, which is called a laissez-passe, because most of our employers, they don't give back our traveling documents. Yeah. So when you have that, and I refer back to Freedom for All, which was the only organization found in the flight, which has done all that, when they are having funds, they will pay for the flight. But when they don't have, they will wait a bit. And I didn't say, because you are from Cameroon, I will give your name and keep the name of those from Ghana. In the quest of rescuing girls by funding the flight, we funded direct flight from Kuwait and Lebanon, 28. And of those, we had 12 from Ghana, 12 from Cameroon, two from Nigeria, and two from Senegal. Notwithstanding, um, I think that was last year during the heat of COVID-19 mm. and with the Beirut um, bomb blast in Lebanon, a lot of girls were really in need. They were homeless. There were no jobs. So we had to join again with Freedom for All. And in that, we, we rescued 35 girls back home. But that was basically Cameroonians because there were those that reached out to me. Yeah. So sometimes when the flight is there, we do it that way. Sometimes when it's not there, we try to connect people to IOM. Okay. And I don't know how the journey works with them because I've never really followed up to the person is finally home back. But many mm. of the girls, I direct them to safety. They always come back home. So that's how the rescue from those who are trafficked out of the country works. Okay. And they're contacting you directly and then you facilitate that return back to Cameroon yeah. or to those other countries you mentioned. Yes, to yeah. the other countries. And I know when you're in, in your home country, you can find your way to your community. Mm. Ask them what happened to me. So the main thing is to be back home in your fatherland, as we call it, and then you know that you're safe. So mm. Mm. that's how it works. And does it take a long time in order to return people from when they mm. contact you? Actually, in the heat of 2016, 2017, it was like very rapidly because Freedom for All was really passionate about doing what they are doing. Mm -hmm. And the girls were really in need to come back home because not only we, we were in 
dead, like who were in acute sufferings, but some were also losing their lives and some were really deteriorating health-wise and mentally. So there was an urgent need for, for people to do something and Freedom for All came in at the right time and was doing that for us. Mm. So it was not really, in the time frame of 2016 and December 2017, that was when all the 28 girls were rescued before now in 2020. No, late um, 2020 and 2021, they will rescue the other girls from Lebanon. Right. Okay. Um, and so you've mentioned that there's women from Cameroon who've been trafficked abroad. Could you tell us a little bit about what the trafficking context is in Cameroon? Is there internal trafficking? There's obviously trafficking overseas as well. What What does the, the trafficking situation look like? There's trafficking internally and there's trafficking externally. Okay. Actually, the external one, even though we are doing our best, we are really fighting hard, but it has raised up because Cameroon has a lot of core crisis and conflicts within. We have the Boko Haram up in the northern region. Mm-hmm. We have the Central African crisis that borders Cameroon in the east region. And we also have the ongoing Anglophone crisis, which is directly affecting me. That is where I live. So due to that, many people have been internally displaced from their homes, their comfort homes. Their houses have been burned. The military against the armed separatists have come. And now the civilians are the ones suffering. And to make yourself comfortable, you need to move out. Because they always say when two elephants fight, the grass suffers. So we civilians that are not we are a political, we are living a life, we are the ones in mm. trouble. So yeah. it has caused many people to be internally displaced. And within Cameroon, a lot of people have migrated from their comfort zone in the English-speaking region to the French-speaking region, where, where it has no crisis ongoing. And when you go, for, go to a different area, it is very obvious. If you're a young girl or if you're a woman, you are tempted to look for shelter. And most often, there are those sugar-coated tongue human traffickers, I always call them, in the form of lover boys, with their hands open to give you that shelter, provide you food, but at the end of it, there is a gain for it. It's not mutually or doing it from their heart. They are doing it because they have their own aim. That is right. maybe for exchange of your body or exchange for you being maybe somebody that stays in their house, work, and do all the chores for them in exchange for the shelter. So there's a lot internally and not withstanding externally traveling to the Middle East has really raised to the extent that each family is difficult to go to a family without seeing, without knowing that, noticing that anyone from that family is abroad. They don't even think what is happening there. They just want to find themselves in safety. Mm. And if it is very okay, safety alongside anything that can provide them money to fit or to send back to their families back home and notwithstanding, even if they are suffering, they are dying, they just wish to be alive and get that to help their family back home. Notwithstanding, children in our origins are also at risk because many of our parents are sending their children to their relatives in the safe region to go to school because the school in our section, in our origin, is, has not really been regular. Yeah. So when children are being sent by family members to relatives, you don't go there often to see what happens to your child. Most of the relatives tend those children for their economic purposes, sending them to walk on the street. And why the poor parent is somewhere hidden in the forest. Because sometimes when the, when the military um, hits a community, the only means of rescue is to run deep into the forest and build thatched houses right. so, that they can manage, so that they can have access to their farm, which is their basic and their main source of livelihood. 
So some run into the forest to continue relying on their farmland to mm. do their farming subsistently. Little they have excess the cell to provide other things that farm can't provide to them. So some people feel finding it difficult to relocate because they don't have anything that they can start or lay their hands on to start up life in the new um, communities that they have relocated to. So it's really on the race, yeah. on the rise. Yeah. It's really bad. Myself yeah. speaking to you, I am on the verge. I have just two months. I'll be leaving soon because I have NGO. I can't do that again. Leaving your area where you are because yes. of the risks. Yeah, I will be leaving. Not only that Francisca lives like Francisca, I have a lot of survivors mm. that we are really looking for a means to leave all of us so that they can have a way forward because they are relying on me and living alone means I'm left them back to mm. the sufferings, the auto suffering. So I am also looking at myself being an internally displaced in two months to come. Yeah. yeah. In, in search of safety within yes. Cameroon. Yeah. In search of safety and in search of my work yeah. being done smoothly. Yeah. If you don't mind, in the first week of September, I had two visitors from Kenya and one from Ghana from Free the Slaves. Mm-hmm. And they, they got held up because the road there was shooting and almost eight people died. Wow. So they had to return back without the one week training that we planned to. Many people love what I do. Many people want to see the miraculous thing they see on pictures. They want to be there. They want to help us, but they want to be there and walk the journey mm-hmm. with us. But I can't advise anyone to come. So if I don't get to safety, my work will end up in the envelope or on the media. I yeah. need people to come see it for real. So that's one of the reasons. And my safety first, and one of the reasons is to have visitors and Ameras come visit us in a safer city. Mm. And actually enable those those visits to happen because they can't happen yes, where freely. you are. We've already we've already sighted a city almost two days by bus from where I am. Yeah, it's very far, but I need to I need to I need to start all over mm. again. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, understand. Many people would tell me, Francisca, why don't you go out? Why don't you go to the US? I was just um, at the UN General Assembly some weeks ago. Yeah, why would you go and remain? Why would you? I say no because what my passion lies is to do what I'm doing. And I wish to do it, so I need to be here. It yeah. doesn't take anything for me to say, Catherine, I want to come over, but that's not what I wish for myself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give me that joy. Yeah, understandable. So, no, that's really clear. So that is the cause of mm. why there's a lot of trafficking internally and externally. Yeah. So you've really Especially described... The men, yeah. The male are also targeted because you see a young boy walking on the road Every if the government military put on the uniform, they see a civilian, a, a male civilian who is of age, they will assume that it's a separatist, which is against them. So sometimes they just shoot innocent people along the road. Right. So there's a mass migration of people. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've really clearly um, explained what all the risk factors are and all the reasons why people are in a position where they are potentially targeted for trafficking internally and externally men and women and children yes men, um, women and children. everyone is vulnerable presently yeah um and some of the other work that you do is about awareness raising so i think that leads quite well into what we were just talking about how does the awareness raising work amongst the communities that you work in it is very funny it is very um I would say it's very low class what we do, but it's super in super quality. I don't know yeah. how to put it, but what we do is we go down to the community and when we, for example, if we say we are coming to Queens or Brooklyn, what we do is we go down to Brooklyn, we have an authorization, 
we go to the, the person who governs that community, like we will say, we'll go to the chief of the village. Mm-hmm. Because if you come to my house, you need to make me aware that you're here. We go to the chief yeah. and acknowledge our presence in his community. So that in case we find ourselves anywhere, anything happens to us, he's aware and he can look for means to get us to safety. Oh, he's, we are already protected by his acceptance of us doing our work in this community. Then yeah. from there, we can be in a team of 10 sometimes. Sometimes eight, we break ourselves into two, two. We take like most of, we take like some people are going into the street. Some people are going to the next street. We are just going, we say, good morning. We have a t-shirt, we have flyers. We have posters, long little posters of like A4 and then little flyers. So we talk to you. We are talking about human trafficking. What's your name? Do you have any chai? Some were like, yes, my chai is in uh, the economic capital. It's with my sister. My sister took my chai to to put her to ask my child to come help take care of children for two years and then after they will enroll my child in a vocational training to learn dressmaking but now it's almost five years my child is still taking care of her children right. they are not enrolled i say your child is a survivor it's a, it's a victim of human trafficking she's been trafficked because of labor to step as a nanny for your own relative mm. so that's a situation your child is your child has been abused they were like yes i think yes because my sister i with the awareness we create sometimes you end up listening to people's story rather than even going there and the stories now help you to make yeah. them realize that that's a situation that we are there and after we are done we tell them that those who couldn't meet at home because they have gone to the farms when they come give them these flares for those who can read for those who can read you try to tell them what we talk about human trafficking exists everybody can be a trafficker do not say she's my sister he's mm-hmm. my husband he's my brother your brother is able to traffic you because trafficking is something that is very lucrative. So always tell them the little, 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 little aspect of trafficking that they themselves are the one even giving us the examples in their own communities. A child not going to school, which a child needs to be in class, going to the market. Yes, we can hawk because we need to help our parents. I did that, but my mother and give me a time as a young female in that community to come back maybe by 4 p.m. when the places are so clean. Mm. There's no darkness, no that my safety is at stake. And what she gives me to carry on my head and hop is of the quantity that she knows is okay for me. You can't give a child of 10 years old almost 15 kilograms of something to walk around on the head and hop. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. So the aspect we try to make them realize that that is not good and that is child level and that is human trafficking. So that we are very basic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we show them videos on our phones. We show them pictures during an ordeal, like the pictures that I had, the, the short videos that I had that I shared with CNN Freedom Project. I showed them, I said, look at me and look at me now. This is what I was doing. And they were overworking me. I would do that for like 20 hours a day. Whereas a normal hour working and working hours per day would not, is far, far more than what I was doing. Mm. So I was being exploited. It's just very basic. We do it as a conversation. We don't do it like a write down or outline something we repeat. We just go depending on how the person receives. Or some people will tell us they don't want to listen. Some people will say you went to Kuwait and you were felt bad. But my own daughter or my sister is there and she's doing well. She will some even show us gadgets. The gadget right. I'm having, she said. I say, yes, that's why it is alarming there, even at well standard. But I think even it is at, I think maybe some 10% of those who are there can fall into the hands of people of good heart so they'll be treated rightly. 
but mm. most of the 90% of people who are there are suffering. Yeah. We didn't say that it's bad, but we said that the people are treating us bad. And the situation the people are putting in, us into is called human trafficking. We are not like blackmailing or saying anything back about the country. Mm. That's how we do it, very basic. And then at the end of it, we always tell them that also you are now, we give our contact and tell them in case of anything, call us. You are now part of us. You are now peer leaders in advocating against human trafficking in your community. Right. Because this is not a lone game. Everybody needs to be there. We go to churches. Sometimes we go to the market. We don't care. I am fearless. I'm shameless. I go to the bus stops because we have bus stops. I give flyers. Sometimes people will take it and reluctantly fold and put in their handbag. Mm. Then before you know it, those people will call you. If I took this name from one lady, I took this name from one young boy at the motor bus stop, and that's how they get in touch. We go to anywhere people can listen to us. Right. During the match, during March, where we have the women, is a month for the women. We have the International Women Day. We go to women gathering. We go to a lot of places. We are just everywhere. We struggle sometimes to go even to the ministry and then to the national TV and radio stations. Everywhere we are granted access to, we make to get the message. Yeah, to get the message out there. Well, how? I mean, a lot of the situations you've described is people are sending their children away because of survival, because of necessity, because schools are not open. So it's a reality that people kind of they have to if they want, you know, for their child to carry on. Yeah, also on the other hand, because of fake promises by their relatives who live in different cities. Right. Because they have secondary aim to take the children and indulge them in yeah. activities, not what yeah. they promised their parents back in the royal villages. Yeah. So what are people able to do then? So if they need to send children away because schools are closed, because it's dangerous, but they know that there's a risk where you know family members could be exploiting and trafficking, what options do people have or, or what alternatives are there to help? For people to keep themselves safe or or to think of of ways to stay safe ways to stay safe actually is to the crisis accept community schools and it's very expensive but if there are ways that community schools can be funded mm. community schools can have their teachers have salaries without coming from the parents who are really in hardship then that would be okay for parents to keep their children while they allow them to go to community schools and not government-owned schools. Notwithstanding, the other way of safety is like what we are running now presently, which is a safe home. Though it's for women, yeah. but we also have women coming with children. We said two children, but sometimes you see a lady that is in a situation you need to rescue with four children. You can't rescue the lady and keep the children away. We rescue all of them. They are in the safe home, but we don't have access to provide them. Even evening teachers or mm -hmm. house teachers because even the women we rescue most of them are very very down when it comes to education so many of them can't read and write okay they also need the homeschooling but that is not we can afford that for now and it's something we hope in the future when funding comes we'll do that because it's a basic necessity for everybody to read and write mm. notwithstanding the young children when their mothers during the day they're in the vocational training center you find them when you go there roaming around and that doesn't speak well and that doesn't feel good for me mm. as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Homeschooling, community school, where you can get like five houses and get a community teacher for basic subjects that you can pay them. I think that would be, that is accepted and that is something that will push them. When they are of age that they can manage themselves, 
God willing, by then maybe the crisis will be over. If it's not over, maybe it's an opening for them when they are mature enough to fend and to take care of themselves. Then you can mm -hmm. now hopefully maybe send them out to continue their education. But notwithstanding, they are yeah. going there already basic with the basic education that they have gotten from the community teachers or community yeah. schools. Yeah. So it's, it's really about structural factors you know the, the structure of education the availability of education even in humanitarian crisis needs to be there as as a basic foundation to keep yes. children safe because then they're not having to travel for education yes. yeah that makes a lot of sense um thanks for sharing about that um you also do work on rehabilitation and supporting women to develop a livelihood program for themselves which first i was using my little apartment mm -hmm. yes for almost two years because what happens with those that are being rescued survivors from out of the country is that many of us including me our family borrow money or the list of a valuable property maybe the house they are managing or a cocoa farm which is a source of livelihood they list it off to get money and then they use the money to send you out there and then with huge interest. And then when you go, it's not working. You struggle to come back home alive in one piece. It is very difficult to convince your family to tell them that it didn't work out. And then now they are left with huge debt and maybe at the verge of their of losing their property. So most often when we come back home and other girls, it's difficult for the family to accept us. So many of them came back to me Back then, I was having a two-bedroom. and So that was primarily how we started to shelter women in my private apartment. Managing it with a lot of my family members was not easy, but I needed to of do course. that. Yeah. Yes. And then after, sometimes I'll be the one struggling to talk to the mothers. You know, mothers will always have a listening ear before the father. And then some of the mothers will be sneaking and bringing us food without the knowledge of their father who is so angry, who is so bitter because he sent the child out there borrowing money and then now he's, he's in debt and there's nothing to show for. The child is coming back with a high unemployment rate in the mm. country. So the father yeah. is really much disturbed, but the mother can really understand. So sometimes mothers will come and give them food. I'll provide them even dresses and Still, or some of them can leave my house and travel to maybe a relative in a different city, still running away from the father. Or some of them who don't live in my city, when they come, they'll come to my town, to my right. house. And then after we reunite them back, provide them transportation back to their own city to meet their family. So that was being done. And then until last year, in April, that we had funds from Freedom for All okay. and some from Vital Voices then. We had a space, Invita Voices funded the space just for shelter. And then we talked with Freedom for All and they also funded a small scale, multi-purpose vocational skill center because it was not really a good idea to have the women come just to provide them breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then they just sit, get up in the morning, sleep, feel the free while I'm there working my ass day and night. So mm. I needed to do this, that when you're there, you need to learn a skill, even if you don't complete, but before leaving, you have a knowledge of the skill you have learned, at least right. you, go, you need to leave the space with something. Mm -hmm. And due to the ongoing crisis also internally, 
a lot of women were cohabitating with men, some were in brothels, some were living the life they have never planned or even think that they'll ever live because they needed a roof over their head and they needed a daily bread. So our safe home came so much in time. And then we did, we don't have people, people, it's just few people who come in directly because we belong to the clusters, we belong to the humanitarian community. Mm-hmm. So we did announcement there. And when we go out for awareness, at the end of it, we also provided. So most of the women we have, because it's female, all female with children. Right. The children, yeah, children ages um, eight and below. It can be a boy or a young child, but we accept. But under so eight. Most of people, yes, most of people who've had there are referred to us by faith-based leaders church leaders, reverend fathers, pastors, other humanitarian group on ground, and also some of them will provide other direct services we don't provide like health. Mm-hmm. When they have people who come in or women that have been injured in their villages, they bring them to the hospital and they cannot go back. Women that they have rescued from gender-based violence situations, so they refer them to us and we keep them. And in case the ones we have also when they are sick, we also have other supporting organizations like there used to be Doctors Without Borders okay. that they left. So right. now we work with Action Against Hunger when it comes to health. And that's how we get people that women that come to the safe home as well. And also those who come from abroad, some of them have also passed through the safe home. Now they no longer use my space again. Mm-hmm. So that's how people come in there. And while you are there, you must do something. If the shelter coordinator reports to us that you don't do your own chores, it starts from your own chores. They have a roster for those to clean, those to cook. They are mm-hmm. all women. They are of age, though they are under age. We have children, for example, presently. We have a lady who is pregnant with two children and all the three children. They're pregnant, unborn one and the two ones. They are not from the same father. She's right very far from the Northwest region. She was cajoled by somebody in the name of love. And she's now left on the street. We have right. a young girl who is most mother passed away. The father started abusing her sexually and she's pregnant and she was sent to a different city mm-hmm. her uncle started abusing her in the pretext that when he does that the pregnancy will, will be the pregnancy will come out that that can um the, cause the pregnancy to come out since she's underage and doing that can help her we also have a young girl whose father started abusing her at the age of 14 and the age of 17 in the same house with the mother. Mm. Because of lack of space, they are managing a room for the whole family. She got pregnant for her father and she's been in the same home for one year. Right. So those are the cases. Cases I'm highlighting are the cases that if we are moving out, we need to walk along with them because sending like that girl who was impregnated by the father is like sending her back to her predator exactly seems very difficult we just had a girl who put to bed a set of twins she's just 14 years old and luckily enough she was almost to be sent to the capital city of the administrative capital of cameroon to put to bed for her child to be sold not knowing what she was having even a baby or two so finally a lady saw her and brought her to her space even the government office which is called the social affairs that deals with such situation doesn't have a safe home. They refer right. all their cases of people who don't have a shelter over their or roof over their heads to a safe home. So this lady, this young girl of 14 years that put to bed a set of twin girls was sent to her by the government office of social affairs. They are aware that we exist. 
So they refer to you. So you're one of the only safe houses that are available. The only safe house. The only safe house. Yeah. And yeah, so sorry that two months from now, if we have funding to keep it going, we'll have funding to keep it going while we are in the other city. Right. But if we don't, then we can't. Then you can't function. Yeah. We can't function. And it's so, so sad. But, it is. You know? And it's clearly a need if there's nothing else available and these women, girls have nowhere else to go as an alternative. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of different uh, experiences. And, and so the women that you're supporting have experienced a range of forms of violence. So not only trafficking, but the forms not of violence they've experienced trafficking. puts them at risk yes. of being trafficked as well, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's how it is. The, actually, when we started, we were stipulating that it's both short term long term some people you can't see somebody who don't have anywhere to go mm. and you're telling the person your term of three months is over and then if the person is excelling in the skills the person is learning at the at the vocational training center you can't tell a person who is doing well in dressmaking to live at three months because yeah. at three months it seems very difficult to be an expert in dressmaking so yeah and is the hope that they then go on to set up their own businesses and, and can run their own livelihoods based that's, on those skills? Yeah, and that's another worry that we have because of all the ladies that we've trained, even in those that have been doing like the beads accessories, mm -hmm. the flip-flops using beads, the, the notorious Cameroon regalia, if you look most of my picture, I always put it, it's hand-braided. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to learn. Somebody does the dress, then you do the designing with thread and a needle. It takes really long and it's very costly. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to set any of them up because we don't have resources to that aspect. Right. So many of them have been trained. And those are some of the things I'm really laying, I'm really like hitting on that. Mm -hmm. Women have been trained, what next? Yeah. They have the skills, what next? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and vocational training, I'm going to a different point, but connecting both. Yeah. Vocational training came into existence because we had a lot of challenges when we started our economic empowerment. We started at first by giving women real actual cash. Okay. And when you give them that, the purpose changed with money at hand. So women will say, oh, I want to get a good bread. I want to get a good dress. They mm -hmm. forget the main purpose of doing or setting up a business for yourself. Right. which that money was given for. So when we were doing that in the early days, when we, the girls that we primary rescue when we started, we were giving up to the tune of 2,000 USD per lady. Okay. And most of them took that money and diverse the purpose, bought their beautiful dresses, mm. bought good hairs, as I can say. It's a novelty and... to have that amount of money in one lump sum, right? Yes. And then some of them even take the money and went back to United Arab Emirates. And right. some even to the Philippines, you know, there is this aspect of somebody living abroad so prestigious in Cameroon. Right. Yeah. So most of them want to maintain the status of living abroad. So they had to take that money and look for a different place. And it was absolutely a failure. We had just about 20% success. Right. From that, it was bad. It was a challenge, but that helped me to reshape and think for that. The next we had in mind, after that, we said, I stood with my team and we thought and we said, if we train people on local snacks that is consumable on daily basis in mm -hmm. our communities, that on daily basis, there must be a sales. I think we can use much money or a normal amount of money to train many women and give them resource package in full and in kind, no money at hand. 
So we started training women on peanut, planting chips, things that people must consume. And then the way we mobilized our women, we know the women who are really vulnerable. Even we did that, we have done that all over Cameroon. Presently, we just left the East region where we empowered 50 women. It was concluding a grant by the U.S. Embassy okay. to empower 200 women across four regions. Wow. So that was the last of it. Even, we went even to the Boko Haram region in the north. Okay. We have 50 women who are Muslims and they believe only in their men. We try to make them know that the woman can also contribute to the running of the household by doing something. So mm-hmm. we did that also there. There we train, that's where we train women on any local snacks. We go to that community. We do some first-hand feasibility studies of what is really happening there. Then we source women. If you go to a community, we don't take all the 50 women from this place. We try to take them we select so that you have a large, a like large a area spread. to occupy yeah. as their own market. Because yeah. if I take, if let's say this is my house, I take Mary from my house, I take Joan from the next house, we all do the same thing, we will not have a market. No, exactly. We try to make sure that we touch little communities that makes up that big community mm-hmm. so that at least people felt our impact in their little way, in their own different small, small communities yeah so we do that then we train them we have a lot of training we train them on what is human trafficking we create the awareness we sensitize them we honor them as peers in their group to lead in their communities then we use a theory that i was fortunate to be part of it for summer three months in summer 2016 called the locus economic systems which is a theory that you train people how to run their business okay run even their lives for greater profitability or for greater development we we reshape it in many of the things we do we always use it as part of our theoretical economic empowerment then after now we call a resource persons who know how to train the local snack we have chosen the person train the women then we give them all their complete packages everything they need to start up their business will give them all in kind notwithstanding things most often goes with flour vegetable oil people can go back home use them for their breakfast and don't do their businesses it has been very successful though Mm -hmm. we've had almost 60 percent success but notwithstanding with the constant crisis in cameroon many people are always internally displaced of course what if you have gained your customers in this community and then something happened maybe military come and there was a shootout you are now vulnerable to go to a different community you go there maybe the money you've saved you use it to start up your life there and at the end of it before you want to get set to you don't have a capital and yeah. then your business is down and it's starting again so that, yeah. yeah starting again and we are not there that at that time to give you again yeah. so we think again that with the constant internally displacement we think skills can be better because if I acquire the skill of hairdressing mm-hmm. or hair or manicure, if I go to a different city, even if I don't have the equipment, I can knock at a manicure door, the door of a manicure shop and tell the owner, please, I'm good at doing manicure. Yeah. And I can be offered a job because my skill I acquired was up here. So it has been a lot of challenges, though they are bad, but it has also in its own way positively helped us to reshape, rethink and... Yeah innovate in the ways exactly economic empowerment and strengthening the program as you evolve as you learn from from you know hit hiccups that happen along the way Ah, 
And not only is it helping us, but many other organizations also. So Francisca, please, can you really tell us your journey of economic empowerment? Because we've seen a lot of changes. Mm. This time you're showing us women learning um, dressmaking, women learning beads, making beads, flip-flops. We've seen women doing um, puff balls. Okay. Um, many things out of flour, plantain. What is happening? You are doing a lot. You have said there are challenges that people don't know internally, except I understand to you that exactly. it was a failure. That was great. I receive it with heartbreak, but I turn it into a positive way to reshape, rethink, and re-strategize the next move. Mm. And then share that learning with other people, which is brilliant yeah, as well. I do that a lot. Yeah, I share that that's excellent. That's brilliant. And so if people would like to find out more or to get involved, how is the best way for them to get in touch with you? The best way to get, how did you manage to get in touch with me? Via LinkedIn, I think, firstly. Yes, I'm so fervent. I'm so vibrant on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been like, so I think my name, anyway, even my number, if you wish, I is on WhatsApp. Like seriously, as you're looking at me, anytime anyone knocks on my door, I'm always ready to brilliant answer. Yeah, because working with survivors, I remember myself how it was very difficult to me. How when I needed people the most, I was calling and people were throwing it back to me. Hey, can you stop disturbing me? I didn't send mm. you to get yourself in that ordeal. You are disturbing me. It's late here. Try to sleep. Get up in the morning and call me. So that's really hard to hear. So you're trying to be the open ear for people if they do contact yeah, you. It's been yeah. that. It's, it's been like that. And sometimes I always say, what I went through, even the worst of my enemy, if I have the means to help them, I will help them. I will not allow them to go through mm. what. I've been through, although mm. I don't have an enemy. I always say yeah. that. Yeah. Really. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Uh, thank thank you. you so much for coming on the podcast. I have really enjoyed speaking to you and learning more about your work. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you so much too. And there's been a lot of success as well, personally, as Francisca. There's been a lot of paparazzi between Obama, being an Obama fellow. Presently, I've seen that. The Ashoka Fellow for Anglophone um, West Africa. Congratulations. Thank you. The VV Visionary Leaders, the Vital Voices Visionary Leaders, which is a very rigorous process for seven weeks. After the call, I'm going to my assignment. There's a lot that comes with You have a very impressive biography and a very impressive list of awards and accolades. So really well done. And it's clear that you're making a huge amount of impact. So yeah, really well done. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you also to the listeners or the viewers of this podcast. And until the next time, goodbye. You've been listening to Actions, Responses to Trafficking podcast. Music used in this episode is Inspiration, written by Rayful Crux and sourced from freepd.com. Actions is produced and presented by Catherine Baldacchino.